If you were here Friday evening, uh, you probably heard my stomach drop when I heard the news that Brother Dave Jackson was also preaching Ephesians chapter 3 on Friday night. Thankfully, um, I don't believe that there'll be anything redundant here this evening, or this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, starting there in the first verse, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known the made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before your throne this morning, Lord, our petition, our, our request, Lord, is that you'll help us to glean from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll give me the words to speak. Lord, help me to recall our, my studies. Lord, pour your spirit out upon us. Lord, be with those who are unable to be with us this morning, whether it be because of absence being providentially hindered or maybe they're sick. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll encourage them, Lord. Strengthen them if they're watching on the live stream this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, we used to love to watch Unsolved Mysteries. It was the reruns, you probably see it, it still plays today in the same uh, poor pixelated videos from the 90s. But we love to watch these crimes and all these things and guess and to wonder how all of this came about and who did this. Here, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 is speaking of with great clarity that there is no mystery that remains upon why Christ died. 
There's no mystery that uh, is left unto us about what it means for the Gentile people that Christ died. Really, the whole entire third chapter is a prayer that the church would get a deeper understanding of who we are in Christ and the unity that we have with each other in Christ. It is a prayer that when we get the correct understanding of who we are in Christ, we will have the same perspective that Paul has when he views the troubles of his current situation. Here in chapter 3 is a challenging the Ephesians to stand, uh, not to waver, not to give up ground. He, he tells them even in verse number 13 that it is my desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you. He didn't want them to faint. He, he wanted them to strengthen themselves of who they are in Christ. That's why when he starts off in verse number one, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. It is believed that Paul, when he first comes into this writing and begins to put the pen to the paper, that he actually was preparing to take off and complete that what he started and finished it in verse 14. Meaning, the connection point is, for this cause I, Paul. He comes back to that in verse 14. It says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that Paul started off to say, for this cause I prayed. But really, verses 2 to 13 is a pause. It is a break of the cause in which Paul is speaking of. The reason that Paul paused here was in order for them to understand the, the riches that we have in Christ, in order for them to understand the love that Christ had for us. He wanted to pause before he set out on this prayer that we would understand these things and first explain them again. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul, in this, waste no time to say, I, Paul, the prisoner. Now, when we think of this situation, we say, Paul, here he is coming in. He states, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Is it the prisoner of Nero? Well, Nero would be the one who would lead him out to his execution. He's the one that's got him in the prison in Rome. Is it I, Paul, the prisoner of Nero? What about before Nero? Was it I, Paul, the prisoner of Agrippa? Before that, when he was in Philippi, was it I, Paul, the prisoner of, of the Philippians who wrongfully beat me and placed me in prison? Paul's view on his life situation though it may not have been the situation that he so desired, much like our situations, we're going to face things in our Christian life as we serve the Lord that to us we're going to say, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I dreamed up. This is not what I aspired to have in my life. But Paul's point of view was much like Proverbs 21 when it said that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water he moveth whithersoever he will. 
Paul looks upon his situation and says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, Paul says and believes that when you are wholeheartedly in the will of God, when you are wholeheartedly following after the Lord, you will not experience anything in your life that has not passed through the hand of the Lord. And next time you face a problem in your life, preach that to yourself. Next time you face a trouble while you're following wholeheartedly after the Lord, remind yourself this problem, this affliction, this trouble, this woe has come through the hands of the Lord while I'm following after him. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which is given me, to you word. He said the reason that he became this prisoner uh, was because God had given him a message. God had charged him to be a steward. That's what the word dispensation is. He said that how by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote before of in a few words. He said I have if you've heard the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me. Paul's saying dispensation is the word steward. This means that Paul said, though I am in prison, I view the reason that I am in prison worthy of the cause. Well, what was the cause in which Paul had found himself in prison? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, this message that I'm given to be steward over, it's worth the beatings. It's worth the imprisonment. It's worth the betrayal. It's worth the turning of his countrymen against him. It's worth the loss of position. It's worth the loss of earthly prestige. Well, what was this that he said I wrote a four of in a few times? In verse number three, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote a four in few words. Really, in verses nine and ten of chapter one, he says here, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He goes on to say in verse number four, whereby when ye read, that ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This message that was revealed unto Paul was that the Gentile nation who, according to verse number 12 of chapter 2, that there was a time in the Gentile nation that they were what? They were outside of the commonwealth. There was a time in the Gentile nation that they were without hope. They were without the covenant of promise. They were without God in the world. 
But the message was that, that God gave to Paul that this Gentile nation who was without hope, according to chapter 2, this group of people who were dead in trespasses and sins, Paul said, God has given me a message that the Gentile nation is no longer without hope. This message means so much to me that it doesn't matter what happens in my own earthly affliction. I hope that the gospel means that much to us. I hope the gospel, when we think about the truths that we get from God's word, that there is a truth that you have in your heart that you're worth sacrificing for. He goes on to verse number four and says, when ye, uh, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. This is... This is for those who are not saved, something they cannot understand. But for those who are saved, this is the greatest truth. Yet there is this sense that it is a mystery to us. That whereby when we read, we may understand the knowledge and the mystery of Christ that what we just seen in the first chapter, that in the dispensation and the fullness of time, that God is gathering all people together in Christ. I mean, think about this as the Ephesians would walk out of the church doors and see. I mean, remember when we studied in Revelation, the church at Ephesus? It was a epicenter of false religion. I mean, they was importing false gods. They was all kinds of temple worship there to Diana. Yet. It was kind of a mystery unto them, and it still is a mystery unto us in some sense, yet it is also an extremely clear truth that as we look out on society today and we see the troubles that's in the world today, though we see all the false religions today, though we see the world as in an entire state of chaos, the mystery is that God is somehow doing this, yet we understand that even more, even in our age, that in this world of chaos, God is, is supernaturally working and sovereignly moving and gathering all together in Christ. And now we look out in the world today and we say, I don't see that. I don't understand it. Yet it is a mystery unto us that has been revealed through Paul's preaching that God is sovereignly in control. Verse 6, he says, notice what he says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Let me tell you about something that's plagued our churches for far too long. Verse number 6, it kind of, Paul says, listen, what we have in Christ is a unifier. What we have in Christ is to bring us all together, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. One thing that's plagued churches across the nation today is that we have found ourselves allowing ourselves to fall into cliques. It's a strange thing to go into church and see how nepotism is what unifies the church. This is our group and you are on the outside. Yet it is ever even more a reality, even worse. Paul says the thought process of individualism, 
I mean, and even in churches today, it's a strange thing when you go preach somewhere and after you get done preaching, by the time you give the closing prayer, it seems like there has been a mass evacuation. Some kind of fire drill has happened in prayer because people are gone out the building. They have arrived in the building to get there more so and get on out the door, so to say. But what Paul is saying is that when you have this kind of mentality, you are the one who's missing out. You're really missing out on the riches of what we have here. You're missing out on what Christ has done. We are all together a part of the same body. Yet it seems that even today, uh, it's easy to go to other religions who preach on uh, what we'll call separating races. This black Hebrew Israelites, which is kind of coming on in strong strengths, saying that we're unique, we're special, they cling to their race. What foolishness is this? We are fellow heirs, a part of the same body, both Jew and both Gentile. I heard a man tell a story about a, a, a train conductor who was uh, telling everybody to get on the train. And as he was telling everybody to get on the train, before the train went to take off, the engineer always likes to walk the train and do random checks of the tickets. He stopped and asked the first guy, he said, let me see your ticket. As he read the ticket, he told the man, he said, you're on the wrong train. He said, Why, what made you get on here? He said, well, the conductor told me to. He said, I'm sorry, you're on the wrong train. He goes to the next guy. He said, hey, you know what? You got the wrong train. He said, well, how did you get on here? He said, well, the conductor told me to get on here. So the engineer, before long, got fed up and went and found the conductor. Lo and behold, the conductor had the wrong program. And I think that's the biggest problem in many independent Baptist churches today. We're on the wrong program. We're reading the wrong thing. What happens in the church, we should be unified. We should be coming together. There's something special that happens here. I know we get all nervous and say, well, hold on now, Pastor, hold on. Whenever we start to say things like, well, I'm closer to my church family than I am my regular family. Well, you know, that's my brother. Well, fine, so be it. But the truth is, the bond that we have here in this church is an eternal bond. The bond we have with our family is but for a little while. There is something special about we, what we have here in the house of God. Look at verse 7. He said here in verse number 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace, the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Did you see that? It's almost like Paul sets back to marvel for a minute. He said, whereof I, Paul, was made a minister. You ever wonder what kind of amazement Paul felt within himself that a murderer became a minister? 
that God would take this wretched man and make him something for the Lord? John Flavel says, grace is to corruption as water is to fire. (laughs) You know what this says to me? That when we experience the grace of God, shame on us when we cling to our past and make it a reason why we're not active in the present. Shame on us when we say, well, you don't understand the things that I've done. Paul said, whereof I was made a minister. Flavel says, it is the grace of God that quenches the fire. It puts it out. The old life has been brought to nothing. And so it is in each and every one of us. Woe to a people who tries to teach separatism in the church because of your past or the things that you have done. We are here to be unified in Christ. Now, I want you to see this. Look at verse 7 again. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of, uh, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. It was not only that God gave him grace. It was more, and listen, this is, verses 7 and 8 is so important to our Christian life. He says in verse number 7, it was God's grace that saved me. It was God's grace that made me a minister. But even more in verse number 8, he said, unto me who am less than all the least of the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles. Did you see that? Is, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles? God's grace experienced in our lives is more than just salvation. God's grace in our life is an action word. God saved us, yes, but it is God's grace that keeps us moving forward. He not only calls us with his grace, but he equips us with it. He he said, grace has been given me that I should preach. Now, uh, let me ask you this. You may not be doing anything this morning to destroy unity in the church. Thank you. Hallelujah. But what are you doing to promote it? What are you doing to ensure that everyone in the church feels included? What are you doing to make sure that everyone in the church feels loved? He said, God's grace saved me and brought me into this family, but it's God's grace that keeps me promoting that we should be unified in the house of God. I mean, getting God's truth From his word is one thing, but what are we doing to get it to others? I mean, listen, if the gospel is not the most important message in our hearts, upon our lips, then it's not even important at all. That is the truth of it all. Paul took this message serious. Matter of fact, he says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in the ninth chapter in the 16th verse, he says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He's saying in verse 7 and 8, believe it or not, God's grace did not save you so that you could be a pew warmer. 
That's not what God's grace has done in our lives. Notice the second thing he says in verse number 8. Two things happen unto me who am less than the least of all the saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? It's as Paul is getting closer to God. As we get closer to God, we will make much less of ourselves. If you was to ask Paul, how do you rate yourself? Paul would respond here. Well, <laughs> unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Hold on a minute, Paul. That's how you view yourself? Less than the least of all the saints? After all of your successful ministry you've had up to now, after all the churches that are planted, after all the mighty things that God has done in your life, miracles that God has allowed you to demonstrate before the people, and you still view yourself as less than all the least? I mean, really, Paul, you view yourself as less than the thief on the cross? Is this really how you view yourself? And the truth and reality is, the deeper we get into relationship with the Lord, the less we'll think about ourselves. Oftentimes, affliction bothers us because our life's focus is upon ourselves. He said, I, I can't help it. The closer I get to him, the more I don't even understand why God chose me. Do you ever feel that way? The more you look in God's word, the more you see how righteous God is, the more you see how holy he is, the more he reveals himself to you in his word, the more you begin to think about the wretched person that you was. Do you ever begin to think in your own life like, why did God ever save me? The more he got into this relationship with the Lord, the longer he was saved. Paul said, it began to burn in me that I should preach the gospel. That's what he was saying. Grace saved me, but it was also grace that moved me. It was grace that caused me to burn. Now about this grace here, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach? Now, I guess we have to ask ourselves this. If God's grace is what saves us, how do we receive this continual grace to move forward? I mean, grace saved you, Paul, but now you're saying it was this grace that you have in your life that God has given you to preach. How did you get this? How even more? I love what 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 says. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, let me explain it to you this way. If I go over Brother Tim's house, oh no, forget Brother Tim. We'll go to Bob Evans. He got a new grill. 
If I go over Brother Bob Evans' house tomorrow and I tell Brother Bob Evans, I'm going to bring over steak, macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes. You cook it, we'll eat it. But I go over his house tomorrow and when I show up, I drop off macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes and I leave and I come back later, let's call it an hour later, and I come back and the only thing that's ready is macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes. Whose fault is it that there's not steak? That's my fault. I didn't bring it. Yet what he's saying here in Peter, notice this. That grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The reason that we have not grown in grace is answered really in verse 5 of 2 Peter. And besides this, well even in verse 3 he said, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. In verse 5 in that first sentence, and besides this, giving all diligence. You want to understand why we are not growing in grace? <laughs> you want to understand why desires aren't overwhelming inside of us that we must preach the gospel? Because we're not growing in knowledge of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not giving all diligence to study the word. We're not giving all diligence to read and to learn of this. Remember what Paul is saying here. It is summarized really the same. Paul is saying, by revelation of Jesus Christ, I receive this information. But notice what he says there in verse number four. He says, I'm going to read it one more time. Whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge. Understand that word knowledge. He said, you may understand my word knowledge in the mystery. That word knowledge comes from the Greek word sunesis. It means that he not only received information, but after he received information, he gave diligence to study the matter. It is a word, that word knowledge, it's reflective. He reflected upon the things that God had told him. He reflected upon it and studied it. And so what Paul is saying, when I heard this revelation, when I seen it, I gave my time to study it. And when I gave my time to study it, it overwhelmed me so much that it caused me to be a, a soul winner for Jesus Christ. And so it is, and even in our own lives, remind yourselves this. He has captioned this for this cause. He's beginning to pray. But he pauses to re-explain to them who we are in Christ for this cause. Because we're growing in knowledge, because we're growing in grace, because the deeper understanding we have of God, the deeper understanding we have of him, the more anchored we shall be. How is it, how is it that this high-ranking Judaizer who, who was a murderer by the grace of God on the Damascus road, when God appears unto this murderer, when, the, when he first sees the Lord, what does he say? What wilt thou have me to do? Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? 
Immediately his thought is that he's headed into service for the Lord. Yet we sit here. Listen, yes, Paul's uh, salvation experience is much different than mine, but the grace is still the same. The grace that we experience in salvation is equally the same. It's as equally as powerful. It's as equally as amazing. Yet we don't find anything curious about the fact that after God saves us from that wretched life, that we don't say, what will you have me to do, Lord? Then we don't feel anything at all inside of our hearts that we should be in service for him. Verse number nine, he says here, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Daniel testified of a time to come, did he not, in the Old Testament? Daniel testified of what it was going to be like in the end times. He even prophesied about the day of resurrection for his people. He, he told us about all the things that were going to happen. Yet, this mystery that is revealed unto us here about who Christ is to the Gentiles is only in the time of Paul. Isaiah said that, G, that the Messiah would come and that he would be born of a virgin and that he would be whipped and all of these things would happen to him. Yet the, the fellowship, the mystery of this fellowship that we have in Christ is something that not even those of times past in the Old Testament were able to explain. Verse 10, lastly, this is probably my favorite verse in all the verses that we read. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Did you see that? I love it. I'm going to read it again. If I don't turn the page again. See if you can see this. To the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers, where? In heavenly places. Might be known by the church. Okay. So the thing is that the principalities and powers in heavenly places, they're going to be educated. By who? By the church. About what? About the manifold wisdom of God. When Peter says there in the 12th verse that the angels look down with great desire to understand this great salvation that we have. To try to understand the church, the Bible says, is the manifold wisdom of God. Do you understand? Paul is saying right now in heaven the angels are looking down upon us, taking notes, trying to get an education about what God has done in our lives, about what God has done for this church, about why God would turn his back on his son for these people. 
why Christ would even be willing to die. They're trying to be educated in the manifold wisdom of God. This is much confusing to me. I wonder how many days the angels are disappointed as they try to get their education and people are sleeping. They stand before God in heaven and cry, holy, holy, holy. And yet down here upon earth, we gather together. That's what their worship service is like. And down here in our worship service, we're bedded down like a bunch of deer in the field. I wonder what they say to such a thing as that. How, con how confusing is that unto them? But how amazing is it to us? That not only was those of times past in the Old Testament not able to tell of the fellowship that we have in Christ, but even the angels who are ministering angels cannot fully comprehend this mystery that God has revealed unto his people. They have to sit back and take notes. They don't even get to experience this great salvation. So I ask us to close in here. How's our worship? I mean, really, how is our worship? How is our commitment? How is our studies? How is our service? As we heard Friday night, Paul would go on to say, it's my desire that you guys will fully grasp a hold of these things. And he's going to bow his knee in verse number 13, and cry out to God that we will fully grasp who we all are in Christ, in the riches that we have in Christ. What we have here is not a social gathering. We gather here, we socialize, but be honest, you didn't come here to see me and I don't blame you. We came here to sing praises unto the Lord. We came here to glean from his word. This is special because Christ died for it. This is special because God instituted it. Next time you come here and you're like, huh, uh, another service. Uh, I hope he preaches less than 30 minutes. Next time that happens, remember what you get to experience here today. Not even the angels in heaven get to experience. They look in amazement. <laughs> uh, he died for them. Look, 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 look what they're doing, Lord. They're falling asleep on you and you love them. Look, Lord, look what's happening here and you love them. Grace poured out upon all of us. This gathering here is the manifold wisdom of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, may we never take for granted the church. May we never take for granted this time of worship. May our hearts, as we dig deeper into an understanding of you. May our hearts be overflowing with love and appreciation that you would even bestow your grace upon us. May we really see that, uh, Lord, that it may affect, affect all areas of our life, 
when we arrive here, how we treat the building, how we treat each other, how we treat all of these things is impacted by coming to the realization of what all you've done for this place to be instituted. Lord, we give thanks to you so much for what you've done. Lord, we thank you for bringing the Reinhardts back home safely. We thank you for their labor. We thank you for the grace and strength that you gave them all these years, Lord. We are excited uh, to have them here with us and excited to hear from them this evening. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless the Witten Place Baptist Church as we grow together closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.